So I would, I would love to hear more about the story to, you know, that sort of like brought it into being, but I'd love to, to start maybe just by learning a little bit about, about you personally, uh, before we shift into Star Atlas, right? Yeah, I think just a, maybe a, a quick point on uh, that last topic of conversation with respect to production quality. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit biased in our output, but I, I think not only are we exceeding expectations and leading production in the Web3 space, but really the content that we're producing at Star Atlas, this grand strategy space exploration MMO, is uh, leading edge in game design. So we're competing with all of the best, call it Web2 or traditional game studios out there in building a true AAA quality product. Um, of course, we're deeply passionate and integrated into the Web3 space. And that is a topic I'd love to chat through with you guys. For sure. Um, how, you know, I think there's this, uh, a very broad spectrum of what people call blockchain games. And it, it starts with NFTs and, you, know, you can incorporate uh, a crypto native economy, cryptocurrencies, you can have these governance structures. But for us, what I think is the most powerful is this idea of abstracting game logic from the game engine, from something like Unreal Engine or a browser-based client and building that into on-chain programs on Solana. So using effectively smart contracts and Solana itself as, a, as an integral piece to our, our game engine or operating as the game engine. And in so many ways, I know I'm totally taking this down a tangent already, but in so many ways, <laughs> building this um, this game logic on chain is is analogous to creating a, a layer one protocol, something like Solana, where our objective by and large as a platform is to bring primitives and programs that are composable um, and permissionless to the ecosystem so that outside developers can actually build around that um, seamlessly. And so... I do want to talk about that maybe uh, more so in depth. That that actually that entire <laughs> statement covers like five of the question topics that I really wanted to talk about. So it's it's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Perfect. Cool. That, yeah. I mean, uh, that'll that'll act as a phenomenal teaser. Yeah. Perfect right? teaser. Right we just started listening. <laughs> We're coming back to this in two minutes. Don't drop. Um, well, well. So so how? Oh man, it's just like you you sum that up really well, right? Which is which is. Uh, you are not just Star Atlas is not just a blockchain game, right? Like mm -hmm. it is, it, it is uh, a, a leading sort of cutting edge game. Period. Uh, that that also happens to to be integrating with with blockchain technology. Um, that is, I I think people are familiar with that intersection a, a, a little bit, but uh, by and large, you know, most blockchain games I see they are they are not cutting edge on both of those right they're like oh we're we're a blockchain game and then frankly it's kind of a shitty game um and that does not seem to be the case with star atlas uh it, it it's it's a game that is appealing regardless of whether or not you're you're a blockchain native um i would love to hear sort of the the origins there like what um how did that intersection for star atlas come come to be Sure. It's a story I've told quite a lot. So any of the passionate uh, Star Atlas community members will have heard this a number of times. But, you know, my personal background is ex-finance, uh, portfolio management, hold a CFA charter. I was working in the finance industry and a buddy of mine introduced me to Bitcoin and crypto 
via script coin mining back in 2013 and grew up as this like nerdy gamer our group was called the lanarchists back in the local area network classic days. name <laughs> we actually own the domain which i'm quite proud of my brother That's has amazing. the lanarchist.com domain uh so we were pioneering back in the late 90s uh um, land gaming but um, as a result of that, grew up building all my own computers. And, you know, it never fails when you go to a LAN party, somebody's computer breaks. It's like you can be running <laughs> <laughs> perfectly fine. Every game works. You get to a LAN party, all of a sudden you have to reinstall Windows or something. And this is <clears throat> this was like a running joke. But, you know, going through this, these childhood processes of going to these LAN parties and, and building computers and fixing computers, uh, when this friend of mine... Uh, explained script coin mining with GPUs and milk crate rigs. I was like, I'm in. You know, this is this is right up by my alley and something that I'm capable of doing. I didn't understand exactly what I was getting into at the time because there was there was a lot of engineering that I was not familiar with. Um, like I had never worked in Linux, for example. I didn't know what SSH tunneling into a headless uh, server meant. I didn't know how to compile programs and compile these miners, but um, it was a challenge, but it was fun to do. So that was that was my entry point, was setting up this elaborate uh, GPU mining farm in my house, uh, which was in Las Vegas, by the way. And you know, I think anybody who's familiar with mining at all tends oh, to run man. quite hot. So it wasn't <laughs> wasn't fun in the summers, <laughs> but um, but I was hooked. It was right at the tail end of 13. Market crashed. You know, I think a lot of people at that point probably would have said, all right, well, it was a good try, but I don't think this is going anywhere. I had the opposite mentality, which was, okay, this didn't work out, but this tech is transformative. And so I, I wanted to be involved. Um, Fast forward to 2015, and I had been trying to convince portfolio managers and general partners at the RIAs that I work at to introduce Bitcoin to client portfolios. And the skepticism and the um, the stigma at the time, the these PMs were like, don't even talk about Bitcoin in the office. <laughs> don't bring that up at all, right? And um, so I made the call just to give up the formal career. I went full-time crypto in 2015, and I was just trading these altcoins. And um, it was kind of through some success in that that I launched my first company. Actually, Tokes, coincidentally, wearing a, wearing a T-shirt of that today. But uh, launched Tokes, which operated at the intersection of crypto and cannabis. Um, we had a number of successes there. It's actually still an operational company. Um, but it was through that that I got connected with a few of the guys that went on to co-found uh, Star Atlas with me. And, and it was kind of the result of one opportunity closing um, at that company, Tokes, in 2020 during the pandemic uh, that, we, that we got together and we conceptualized um, this idea of Star Atlas. But it, it came out of seeing some great trends progressing in not only NFTs, um, in like DeFi was was really taking off in 2020, maybe 2019 to some extent, but 2020 and 2021, and, um, and an emerging industry of blockchain gaming. And so I proposed the idea to um, two of the other co-founders and to launch a game that ties in, ties all these things together. And uh, fortunately and somewhat serendipitously, that is really where um, our chief product officer and chief technology officer, who are brothers, that's where their backgrounds largely um, existed. Uh, Danny, in particular, chief product officer, was uh, 
has worked 10 years in AAA game development with studios like EA and worked on games like Splitgate. And so I often tell the story that, you know, I have never seen those guys more motivated to work and build something. I think Danny had a, a 30 page game design document over to us within a week. You know, nice. he's like, this is what we should do. <laughs> and so that was it. Um, the idea was born. We formally debuted in January of 2021 with a white paper that spoke to that game design doc and, and um, have had quite a, an incredible story since then. Uh, awesome. that is quite the story. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, it's so very different from what you were doing 10 years ago, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> from, from, from kind of very traditional finance to not just I've left that industry and I'm in crypto, but like also I've entered, I've entered, entered the crypto industry, uh, somewhere along the line, the cannabis industry, and the gaming industry, right? Like yeah. all three of those individually, I think are are very different from where you were. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty wild. That's that's a cool story. Uh, I, it, you know, the, where I think the thread uh, weaves between all of those is that there certainly is a financial component to, like, what we were doing in cannabis was how do we solve this financial infrastructure problem because they're federally illegal despite being legal at in the states that they operate um they can't get bank accounts they can't accept credit card debit card electronic payments it's a cash only business and hey we have this decentralized technology that can effectively solve a lot of these problems can we package that up in a way um, that makes it attractive to them to accept digital payments store assets in a self-sovereign fashion for themselves um, using blockchain and i thought that was uh it, it, there was a surprising degree of skepticism from that industry as well by the way i might add we thought this was like brilliant right this is you like is this exactly solves so many of your need. problems it makes sense and they're just like yeah. mm, no no and they're like we don't really trust that crypto stuff where does it go like where is it stored you know so there's a big education <laughs> oh, okay component yeah. we actually had a big um uh, success there in getting legislation passed well, helping to get legislation passed in Nevada um, that operated with the Nevada State Treasurer's Office. And it was this tokenized closed loop financial system using blockchain um, for that for any of the operators in the state. That was the program that got effectively shut down when the pandemic hit and government shut down. And it was like everybody has to stay inside so we can't go out and promote our um, our closed loop ecosystem. And, and so, again, uh, somewhat fortunately, because of that, this idea of Star Atlas came out of it. But on the Star Atlas side, what I think I'd also point to where finance does directly apply is that, well, one, I think DeFi is effectively the first blockchain game. Because I know people don't think of it as a blockchain game, but it is a very much a gamification of the way you interact with financial services you know it's like i'm gonna go yield farm here and it even uses like shells and <laughs> yeah. turtles and what you know like it's bananas. super gamified <laughs> it's super gamified uh but for us the economics are incredibly important because we're creating this open world mmo that is intended to persist for decades or maybe a century plus uh, and we can explore that but um, we want a very tangible, sustainable economy within the game and creating that type of balance that um, uh, balances out both producers and consumers and extractors with creators um, is is tough. And so it 
we put a lot of work into that. And again, I think having some experience and background in macroeconomic analysis that feeds directly into decision-making, analytical decision-making with financial services um, actually benefits us here. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the cultural difference, right, may, may be huge, but certainly the, the skills acquired from a financial background lend themselves enormously well to any, any crypto endeavor, just given the tokenomics aspect of, of crypto. So could not agree with you, you more there. Uh, I, maybe we can, maybe we can dig into that a little bit. Yeah, actually, just I, what I was I'd love say. I'd, <laughs> great yeah, minds, Nick, great maybe, minds. Maybe, maybe ask your your question then. Yeah, so I'd, like, I'd love to hear more about the tokenomics. On so in part with the tokenomics and like how, from my understanding of how everyone at Star Atlas is kind of thinking about empowering like a creator economy, whether that's internally within the game itself and having this um, play to earn type of loop within the game itself. But also the way that it seems like Star Atlas as a company is thinking about the IP of the game itself, where it's there's this like like very openness and uh, open ability for people to build a business off of the IP of the game. And you you briefly talked about this during um, at the the New York City Hacker House, and I thought it was super super interesting. And you I think there was a specific like case study you you highlighted of someone has built a business using Star Atlas IP and they're basically like a marketplace or, or something like that specifically for the game and they're they're generating a meaningful income from it. And so I'm super curious about just the general thoughts of A, why you are structuring the IP of Star Atlas in this way and like what's what's the end goal for it? I love that you asked the question. I love that you bring up the IP program. Let's segment this out into three different categories. One is the play to earn. It's the in-game um, economy. Um, uh, the second is actually this permissionless development ecosystem and platform that we're building because of on-chain game logic. And then the third is this open IP policy that we just recently released. And I'll, I'll start with that one. Um, it's something I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, the... In many ways, we've, uh, I'd like to give credit where it's due, and in many ways, we've modeled our IP program uh, in a way inspired by Yuga Labs and what they've done with Bored Apes. And, you know, if you own the Bored Ape, you can kind of create a business around that. And I don't have a ton of detail in exactly what they've done, but um, I know that they've been uh, pretty progressive with how people can leverage that IP. For us, the, the concept of opening our branding, our likeness, um, our assets, and letting people leverage that to create a business is beneficial to all stakeholders, all participants in this kind of triangle of participants, which is us as a studio, it's the entrepreneur, <clears throat> and it's our user base. And uh, from the uh, let's start with, say, the entrepreneur, the creator that wants to build a brand, build a company around this. They obviously have the opportunity to use high quality, high production assets you guys referenced earlier in the conversation. Um, they also have the benefit of an audience that already exists, the hundreds of thousands of people that are currently participating in Star Atlas in some way. So you have this like a bootstrapped user base that you already know who to promote to and can pretty easily promote to. And we actively help you promote as well because we want these businesses nice. to be successful. And then the, the third part, of course, is that they can generate revenue off of this. And our model is um, 
is to allow for gross revenue of $1 million with no rev share whatsoever. So if you have an idea, try it out. If it works, great. You just created a successful business. If it doesn't work, the only thing you've committed to is whatever capital and time and resources you put into launching the thing. Um, so we wanted it to be low barrier to entry and, and um, supportive of the concept of creating a lot of uh, new businesses. For our users, um, you know, for them, this is, and it kind of ties into into us as a as an organization. But for the users, in they get access to products and features that otherwise we don't necessarily, as a company, have time to create. Um, on that specific business model, uh, the IP side, that's probably the sole benefit. Uh, I'll expand on that when we get a little bit into the open development ecosystem part. But um, and then for us as a company we have this huge opportunity to get great exposure all over the world with people that are building products that we simply don't have the capacity to build. While I think the conventional mentality of, of the capitalist mindset is, well, we own the IP, we want to retain all of the value because that's how we drive value to anybody that's, say, a shareholder in the company. I think the opportunity exists to allow for these um, creative individuals to not only capture some of that value, but help us exponentially build the value of the brand. Because the more people see Star Atlas, the more it gets out there, um, the more awareness we have around our core product, which is Star Atlas, the game. Um, to, um, a, a quick note on that. So you said it was 1 million gross revenue. Is that annual or total over the entire time period of that particular endeavor? It is the total time period. So okay. uh, yeah, it's not, not an annual number. And then like, cause I've heard a lot of thoughts of anecdotal thoughts from like crypto in general on the, the Yuga IP and how they're handling it. And a lot of people seem to think that there's like a, it's like an immense amount of risk that a business naturally could be exposing themselves to if they're letting people do things with their IP. And like, I would assume that there's like a very clear thought that, that you at the company have like thought about this and the risk reward of it. And like, I, I guess that there are like specific, uh, there are other restrictions of like, you know, uh, not safe for work type content that people can't do. I, I would assume there's things like that that are like, could be negative to the brand, but are there any other like large restrictions on it? There are. Um, ours is not, uh, I guess it is worth uh, clarifying. It's not completely open access and open IP. It's, it's um, and it's not uh, gated by holding an NFT. There is an application process, uh, so we still do review. Oh, what okay, okay, are gotcha. Being proposed. That makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> we are, <clears throat> we are pretty liberal with approving those. We are, <clears throat> we are pretty liberal with approving applications. <clears throat> But of course, things like, you know, you can't do anything that's fraudulent. You can't do anything sure, yeah. that's illegal. Naturally, those are going to be prohibited. Um, and we still have some immediate oversight over the, that application process. So okay. um, that's not to say, though, that we want to dictate what everybody does. Um, we actually want to see the flow of ideas come into us. And we've approved uh, quite a few of these applications already. We've just since the launch of this program, which was about seven or eight weeks ago now, um, we've had over 45 applications. And there are, I think, eight fully approved and operational businesses. One of them, right off the top of my head, is called uh, Gallia Merchants. 
and Gallia Merchant sells apparel and other forms of merchandise and like computer peripherals, stuff like that. Um, there's uh, one called uh, Gallia Art Station, and they're selling 3D models of our ships, the 3D high quality 3D printed models of our ships. That's pretty um, cool. There's uh, especially since there's... I've seen pictures of the ships, they're very elaborate, like you would expect in a AAA game. So that's impressive. Yeah, I mean we've we've thought about hey we can we can make these ship models and sell those ourselves, but we have so much to build already. Mm -hmm. So it was just like difficult for us to allocate any time or resources to doing that. Somebody came along and started making them. There's ideas for board games. Um, there's uh, star artisan market or merchant as well. Um, they're doing these cool like acrylic placards. So, so people are coming up with cool ideas uh, is the key point here. And we're, we're seeing them start to see some success in uh, executing sales. So, um, I'm very excited for that component of our business. And then the other thing for us is that if they're successful, there is a revenue share component. Uh, we've kept it pretty conservative. It's it's anywhere from 3 to 10% of gross revenues. Most of those, um, uh, and it's industry specific, so it depends on what you're producing. Sure. But most um, industry sectors fall in the lower end of that uh, with only one actually at 10%. So uh, we want them to win. We want them to succeed. It's a passive revenue stream for us in the future if they do. And, and um, I think it really helps get the, the brand and the name out there. There's also specific brand assets that we've designed and developed that have to be used. Uh, so it does have to conform to our quality standards as well. So trying to maintain the integrity of the brand while still presenting an opportunity for people to build. Yeah, I think. Yeah, makes I mean, sense. I mean, I think that's. I think that's great. It's. Uh, it, it's. It. It seems like you've you've found a balance between we want to ensure high quality, we want to make sure things are done right, but also we want to focus on the thing we set out to do, which is make this amazing game, and uh, we start pulling resources away from that if we also want to do three D modeling and, uh, you know, and like producing all kinds of you know, clothing and, or, or what, whatever it ends up being, right. It's like, you can, you can continue to, you can get that stuff out there without you having to do it yourself. Right. You can put your resources more towards the, the core of the business. Um, which is, which is, which is pretty awesome. Games workshop. If you're out there, we, <laughs> I, have you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever played Warhammer. Uh, I, yeah. I played I, a bunch of Warhammer when I was a kid. Okay. I never played, but almost all of my friends have spent countless hours painting their models, and I've watched them play. Um, I think a Star Atlas tabletop, like that'd be pretty cool model game, would be pretty <laughs> sick. We'll nice. be sure to get this in front of Games Workshop too. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we have that capability. I know a guy. Um, <laughs> well, well, so so uh, we 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 talked a lot about the open IP bit. You mentioned, you know, you sort of broke this down into three separate sections. I, I would love to talk more about the the play to earn aspect. I, I think um, of uh, of everyone that sort of talks about the quote unquote metaverse and um, and, and sort of makes analogies to things like Ready Player One or, or, or something like that. Star Atlas again is is sort of the brand that I've seen that I actually have by far by by a very wide margin the, the highest confidence in actually producing something that is kind of like ready player one minus the post-apocalyptic nature of that world uh hopefully 
Preferably. But, but, <laughs> yeah, we don't we all prefer that. But I but I'd love to talk about that about how you envision this economy, um, you know, working and and sort of bridging the gap between quote unquote the the real world and the metaverse. Yeah, we have. Um, maybe I'll preface this just by also clarifying that we do have multiple uh, game environment product lines that all um, kind of coalesce with this on-chain game logic. But we have our flagship product. That's the AAA cinematic ultra-realistic world in Unreal Engine 5. We have a browser-based uh, top-down real-time strategy game that's in development that we're calling Sage, Star Atlas Golden Era. And then we have a mobile application that's in development right now uh, with the intention of being able to reach the widest audience possible. Whether you have a mobile or a laptop or you have a gaming PC, you can get are, integrated. Are these all part of the same game? Like you're playing the same game together with people on all the other clients effectively? Yes. Okay. And that's... That's kind of the key. It's not. We're not building three games. We're building one game. We're three environments for those games. That one game. There's three different access points. Okay. That's okay. Right. That's cool. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the mobile app because we're actually officially announcing that um, at the PlayGG event. I don't know when this is going to air, but at the PlayGG event um, next week in San Diego. Uh, but the it is a it is a um, a crew member application. So crew members are a component of your ships. It's kind of part of your loadout. Your ships, you know, if you think of your ship effectively as your character, you're going to be able to completely customize those. And that will have the components and modules. So uh, what artillery do you set on there? What types of weapons? Uh, what shields do you have? What type of thrusters do you have? Engines. Um, and your crew are a component of that. So the, the mobile app focuses on the crew member component. I won't say any more than that. Um, the browser-based game is where we're really deploying a lot of our on-chain game logic um, today, where we're starting. And this is things like your account progression, leveling up, your XP is on-chain, uh, your fleet management uh, in the game, your, uh, your inventory systems, when you're setting uh, uh, mining rigs on land, uh, your extraction, the resources are on chain, the crafting systems, the blueprints and recipes to craft new materials. This is all being executed on chain. We started this with something um, this year with something that we called escape velocity, which was really just an, a movement test. <laughs> so that's another thing. You're, you're, uh, we have an on-chain Cartesian coordinate and movement system. So when you're moving from one sector to another, you're actually submitting a transaction to the Solana blockchain, and that is what's validating your movement activity. That's uh, we did cool. over <laughs> it, we did over 80 million transactions on Solana over seven, 72 days. Um, you know, so averaging over a million transactions per day. Our peak, we made up something like 18% of Solana's daily transaction volume with just people moving around a map. There were 10,000 connected wallets, uh, unique wallets, and um, it was really incredible considering this escape velocity was positioned as a tech demo and a movement test for this on-chain logic. It wasn't actually the game. It was extremely simple. It was kind of a scavenger hunt where... You load in a fleet, you move around the map, you scan these sectors in a 100 by 100 grid, and you have a chance of finding some loot. Like w there was some really good loot in there. Uh, we <laughs> had one ship that was, uh, it's valued at $100,000. Nobody found that, but it was this random loot table and people were finding all kinds of cool stuff. And that was enough to motivate people, I think, to, to really try this out. 
But as we get into the next release of Sage, this is when we start to unlock all of these eight other programs that we have in development. <clears throat> and then the next release after this uh, more immediate one is going to be the introduction of combat systems on-chain as well. <clears throat> and while not all of those mechanics are going to work in Unreal Engine, a lot of them will. Uh, the movement, for example, is something that we unlikely would uh, would be unlikely to be introduced to Unreal Engine. It works fine for the browser, but um, the way that we've set up our our system architecture is to allow for real time game activity as well. So it doesn't feel turn based. It doesn't feel like you're you know uh, waiting for the response from the blockchain to take your next action. Um, and we've done this through a, a number of things. One was developing our own infrastructure for it at first, but just recently partnering up with Hello Moon. And so the result of this is that we can um, we can get re uh, we can achieve extremely low latency on uh, the transaction settlement process, the finality, um, and feeding that back into the front end. So if you're a user, it feels like you're playing a Web two game, um, but actually a lot of this activity is being recorded through transactions on Solana and then fed back up to the client based on our data fetching. So this, uh, this in and of itself is like incredibly innovative technology that is taking place right now. And then in Unreal Engine, um, the, there's a, the, the, the big picture here is to create what is effectively a replication or simulation in some ways of the way the real world economy works, which is kind of all starting with these um, mining extraction uh, and processing processes. Um, so users, for example, are you might, there are a number of different career specializations uh, that you can pursue, whether you want to be a miner, you want to be a freighter, you want to operate transport, you want to be the CEO of a company in this game, you want to be a bounty hunter, a data runner, um, uh, uh, you just want to be a fighter, you, know, you just want to go out and engage in combat, you can essentially serve as security for someone else. The level of specialization that's going to be possible in Star Atlas is, is essentially limitless. And what I envision is some people are going to um, excel at specific uh, aspects of the supply chain process. So whether you're a miner or you want to operate in refining or you've progressed enough to possess the blueprints and the recipes uh, to be able to craft items like being able to craft ships uh, or otherwise be support for someone else who's trying to deliver some cargo that got um, engaged by the way hired uh, by someone on chain like imagine a job board where hey i have i don't own a freighter ship uh, because the freighter ships are thirty thousand dollars but i do have this mining facility and i have a bunch of inventory and i need to get it to a space station um, i need a freighter with a qualified pilot's license that has a demonstrated track record of being able to deliver without getting destroyed uh, to take this cargo for me and literally hiring somebody on chain to do that job. And so not only do we have like what you would consider as play to earn, but you have labor markets wherein people are consumers and producers of products are actually matched together and paired together. And their source of revenue is not just from an inflation curve of emission of tokens. It's from other players exchanging currency with each other so that they can operate in game goods and services. Yeah. That's right. That is okay. Okay, I'm sold. I'm gonna play the game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you got me. That sounds so amazingly cool. And yeah, all right. <laughs> to, 
I'm I'm super curious. Uh, obviously, I'm not asking you to give up any any secret sauce or anything, but um, the cr- creating an economy sounds incredibly challenging, right? Um, the the there is a delicate balance between supply and demand, right? <clears throat> where where I, I mean, and that and this exists in the real world, right? It's like if if someone taps into a uh, a really big new uh, gold mine and we're all on the gold standard there boom unexpected inflation across the world right it's just, it's just uh so so i imagine in a world where sort of at the core we have mining elements that that sort of bubble up into into higher level um purchases in, in some way or another uh whoever's controlling you know how many mines are there how how many materials are there sort of has this responsibility for the broader economy. So how, how are you guys thinking about, you know, c- controls and limitations on the underlying resources? And I don't say this in like the typical NFT way is like, we just want to constrain things to boost the value. I mean, truly to like maintain a, sort of a homeostasis across this economy that, that you're describing. I think it's well said. And, um, and maybe to the chagrin of uh, our audience, like our goal is not to focus on pumponomics, you know, and just like, how do we make everything exponentially increase in value? Um, we care about the underlying intrinsic value of the assets, but I think by and large, these tokenomic models that have focused on pump-centric mechanics are completely unsustainable. And that's when you Absolutely. see that high volatility yeah. and then like ultimate um, death, I think, in a lot of cases of these tokens or these concepts. Um, what we don't want to be is a central bank or the Federal Reserve uh, for the economy, <clears throat> specifically over the long term. In the short term, we do have a responsibility to ensure that we don't introduce mechanics that catastrophically destroy the economy. And so the short answer to how do we get to this thriving economy that's sustainable in the future is to do so very delicately and slowly and by uh, introducing as few variables as possible um, over a period of time. <clears throat> we also ha- are, <clears throat> in a way, we're at the, the disadvantage of that we are quite literally, uh, or at least metaphorically, building a ship as we're flying it. And that's true of creating a studio that started with four people that grew to 200 people over two years that, you know, while we're building a game concept with emerging bleeding edge technology, not only in Unreal Engine, but also on the blockchain, um, but we're defining an economy that starts at zero that we have to get to a point where it's thriving and sustainable. I mean, all of these things are happening dynamically and live. And so in a way we benefit from that though, because we don't have all the features out right now. But we don't we don't necessarily know what the future has in hold, so it's hard for us to build every parameter and every variable now, um, largely because we just haven't had the ability to do it. You know, we launched with an idea, and now we're kind of backfilling in everything that needs to be in place infrastructure-wise for us to execute. <clears throat> but that means that there are a lot of unknown variables in the future that we perhaps did not anticipate, simply because as we build stuff out, uh, it introduces new information that we have to be able to adapt to. But um, 
given this is a an iterative process where we build something, we release, and then we improve, and then we release a new feature, uh, we can contain the economic design within that feature set, and we can think about what features are coming, and how does the economy need to evolve to accommodate that, and what is the potential impact based on what we're proposing changing. So um, there's a lot to it. I, I will give you just one uh, uh, kind of case study recently, which is the, the core earning mechanism that's in the game today is through these two programs that we call Faction Fleet and Faction Claims. Faction Fleet came out in December of 2021. Faction Claims came out this year. These are effectively, uh, I, 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 I hate to use the analogy of like staking pools, but with Faction Fleet, you own these ship NFTs, you enlist those to your faction, you manage a set of four resources, and to the extent that you keep that balance stocked up every day, and you have a non-zero balance on all four of these resources, you earn Atlas. That was the easiest way for us to create a, an earning stream for those ship NFT owners. Uh, the claims now that we released this year produce what we call R4, food, fuel, ammunition, and toolkits. And that is what the ships consume to earn Atlas. So now uh, players have the ability to, they can either just own ships, they can just own uh, claim stakes, or they can own both. If you own both, you can actually produce all of the resources that you need in the consumption of resources so that you can earn Atlas. That's kind of the circular loop. But previously, um, those resources were sold by our DAO. Now this was a great revenue stream for our DAO because Anybody who wanted to earn Atlas needed to purchase these resources to keep their ships stocked up, um, with the exception of where that was offset by the faction claims. We've since disabled the R4 release from the DAO, which in our minds was, it was fairly artificial because the DAO didn't have any means of production. It was just able to mint these tokens, sell them to players. Now, those resources got burned after they were used, so they didn't recirculate. But we wanted to activate the player-driven economy. And so we modified the rates of R4 production on the claim stakes and, and um, defined it in such a way that the supply and demand could be balanced. The We looked at the total consumption values and the potential consumption values in Faction Fleet, and we um, defined the production rates based on all available supply of Faction Claims. Now, it's not perfectly balanced today. There is some um, uh, deficiencies in, say, the R4 production today simply because we had to model it based on all faction claims being in circulation, which isn't the case, right? We also added a component of R4 resource production to escape velocity so players could go out and spend time and earn resources without having to purchase an asset from us. But um, I know this is kind of a lengthy answer, but the point is we're thinking about how do we create these supply demand balances throughout the game so that we don't introduce something that is devastating to any of the asset holders, right? Uh, but we're seeing this incredible uh, kind of life uh, come out of this player-driven economy where people are honestly just fascinated by the asset volatility, you know, it's like, because if the R4 prices go too high, then your ship Atlas earnings go down. It impacts the margins on ship owners because they have to buy these resources on the secondary market from other players. And if the if the asset um, or the resource values go down, well, then the claim stake owners 
their business is less profitable. But we're seeing all of this like free market economy start to come to life right now. That is that is fascinating. That yeah. like those those opposing those opposing positions that you, that you just described. That I think that's something missing from a lot of sort of gamified, um, you know, or or sort of DeFi related games, right? Is it's like there's kind of one primary token, and and it's just like yeah, everyone benefits if the token goes up, and so that's the incentive behind the just pump forever that that you were describing earlier. Um, whereas it, it, it sounds like you, you guys have been very measured about your approach and trying to create a truly balanced, um, economy. So, uh, sounds like we're in good hands, which is, which is great. <laughs> but, well, and we have a phenomenal economics team, uh, department on the team as well. So, um, certainly some highly qualified, great people that are working through the structuring of all of this. <clears throat> we actually produce a quarterly state of the uh, state of the economy report as well. We've had four come out, so we just hit our one year anniversary. But that goes through all of the economic dynamics that are taking place now, um, the attribution of what caused certain things based on our analysis, uh, as well as it, it looks at this governance structure. So our, our polis token and how you can participate in decision making uh, in the Star Atlas ecosystem, uh, but also these political gameplay elements, uh, political strategy that's coming in the future. But defining what it means to be a citizen, a resident, a foreign direct investor, you know, we look at asset holdings across all wallets to define somebody's persona. You know, if you just hold a ship, you you're categorized one way. If you just hold Atlas, you're categorized another way. If you hold a ship in Atlas and Polis, you're categorized another way. And if you actually participate in governance with all of those things, you're also classified another way. So it's it's essentially defining census data for this digital society that we're building today based on how census data is acquired and um, in in the real world economy today. That, um, that's, so that's, that's, that's super fascinating. I'm, I'm going to have to, I, I'm, I will admit I'm not much of a, of a gamer my, myself, but the, the economics behind it, the political strategy that you're describing is fascinating to me. And so this, this might be the thing that, that sort of pulls me in to, to become more of a gamer, which is, which is, uh, was unexpected for me. Um, so this is what I think is so cool. There's so many different ways that you can get engaged in Star Atlas, like the game environments and the different career paths that you can take in game. But one thing I didn't mention, which is more to the metaverse concept, is you know we we have uh, these central space stations. There's three different factions in the game that are kind of competing over territory, and each one of them has a central space station, the the main hub, the main city for that faction. Um, we're also working on server tech that. Uh, by all demonstrated like, examples that I've seen so far from what they've presented to us, we're going to have tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of players in a single instance, in a single territory with no sharding uh, of the map whatsoever and no separate instances and no separate servers. So single server, open world, MMO. But in the city centers, uh, what I want to see, and this kind of speaks to the IP policy, is people creating real businesses there as well. You know, imagine setting up a shop in a in a central city of a of an MMO where you can sell tangible products that you know, hey, if you collect their address, you could actually ship them something. Now they're in game. They spent Atlas with you that they've earned in game. 
they bought a keychain and you send the keychain key to their house. Like not only is it a social hub, it's a commerce hub, it's an, an industry hub. Um, that's when we start to approach the metaverse concept. And ours is just a, you know, one um, entry point into what will be this broader connected immersive internet of the future, the metaverse itself. But um, I think that is super cool. So one of these companies right now that are selling t-shirts, um, they set up a shop because they bought a land plot and they built a commercial building on that and they have a storefront and their customers are not just people that find them on the web. They're gamers that are already running around in these cities because they have things that they need to do there. Pick up their quest or pick up their mission or go craft some items or go spend some time in their own um, have their own like home in in star atlas and so when you have millions of people foot traffic running around one of these digital space stations I, I, like how do you value what a mall is worth in the real world well how much foot traffic how many rooftops are there around that mall how many people are coming into a mall to shop and we've just created the mall of the world in star atlas where anybody can shop at any time and it's better than going on the internet well, it is in the internet, right? But it's not going to Amazon.com. It's not going yeah, to it's Alibaba. It's a much different internet experience. It is a <laughs> that's right. uh, a fully immersive experience. That's right. There's there's that Ready Player One um, <laughs> world that that I was referencing before. I don't I don't know if you like that reference or not, but um, for for me, it's a cool way to think about. I've never been seen that movie. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Oh, Nick. Maybe I maybe should watch it tonight. I like the movie. I, I mean, I like the idea. You should read the book, idea. actually. <laughs> I've not read the book, and I've heard the book is way better, um, as they usually are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't want the dystopian future either, but, but this idea of, like, VR-connected experiences where you're throwing on the haptic bodysuit and it feels like you're there, I mean, that is the deepest sense of immersion and yeah. i won't take us down the rabbit hole of like simulation theory <laughs> and whether or not we are just living in a in an ultra realistic uh metaverse ourselves but you know i think that's really cool i think that's a long ways off still i think we're probably sure. like 20 years away yeah, from probably. that like really feeling like you're there but um this is a great step in that direction yeah it, i mean look e e even if we don't have sort of the vr and haptic suit and that sort of thing um what what you're describing that's exciting to me is the economic nature of it the the collaborative nature of we can collaborate on this thing from anywhere in the world and it is more fun than just going to a website right like we're we're actually in this together i mean people do this hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people do this every day with with online video games right now right um and 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 so to to sort of layer on top of it a more uh complex economy that actually you know has real world value i think is i think is huge and that's that's the piece that um keeps me coming back to the ready player one analogy um right and 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 gets and gets me really excited in in a in a world where <clears throat> you know most things are are automated, like the necessities of life are primarily automated, um, you know, robotics, AI, that kind of thing. You, you kind of have to wonder like, what, what are people doing for work? And ultimately I think it's, well, they're delivering value to each other in one form or another. And if the value is coming in the form of, Hey, I, you know, have these resources in this game. And like you said, I need to get them from point A to point B and you can add that value for me that that is worth something. Value is just, 
this exchange of favors between humans, basically. So, um, well, cool, man. We're we're kind of hitting time, and I I want to appreciate the time you've given us. Yeah, uh, appreciate it so very. Is, much. Are there are there is there anything you wanted to touch on for our listeners uh, that you haven't been able to yet? I want to you know make sure you get the opportunity to sort of say what you want to say. Well, we've covered a lot, and. Uh, I feel like I, <laughs> I have been rambling for about 40 out of the uh, maybe 50 minutes that we've been chatting here. So um, I, I don't know that there's anything um, in addition. Actually, you know what I wanted to mention is even if you're not a gamer, if you want to be a politician, let's say you aspire to be a governor of a, a state in the United States and your political career path never worked out. That is even a career in Star Atlas um, where you can level up and experience yourself as a politician and you can help define and set policy inside the universe of Star Atlas. And that could be at the Central Space Station or that could be some remote region in space. So we just cater to so many different people and how you want to interact with this world. It's a lot to be built um, and I don't want to over... Um, uh, over promote where we're at today because we have a long road ahead but these are all of the ideas that we want to bring to life um, the the last thing i will mention is we also have a graphic novel it's called um, star atlas core and this is an 18 episode um, uh, comic book format novel that takes us through the story of our protagonist jian um, and his band of these like ragtag crew members of his but it's the it's the pre-story to current era star atlas so if there are comic book readers out there check it out this is all um, we have free to read versions of each of these six episodes have been released uh, we took a two-month break and now we're setting um, we're releasing the second story arc next week with another six episodes coming out once a month um, but uh, you know this is our first exploration into uh, omni-channel content production so you know things like netflix at some point i want us to get there but uh nice anyway star atlas core uh, for the comic book readers is available too and it's also free to read if you want to purchase the cover we have these collectible covers for 20 bucks a piece but um the cool thing about that is when if you re collect all 18 covers you get to redeem that for a physical hardbound high quality collector's edition of this uh this mm, novel that's at pretty the end cool of the series that's that's intriguing to me. I yeah. might go I just, uh, grab the six that are out. <laughs> <laughs> really quick on that, what you just said is like this: the fact that, and this is the last thing I'll say since we are basically at time, is the the way that Star Atlas seems to be being built in public almost. Like I've never really heard of or or seen another game that's being built and developed at at this scale that is doing this like very open in the public and and constantly teasing with with basically demos like public demos for users to actually interact with and gamers to interact with various pieces of content various mediums like you said you're 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 working out the the omni-channel strategy for it and it's and, and not to mention the public roadmap that i that's like available on your website and we'll link it in the show notes i think it's very very cool because it's taking a very traditional approach of we're going to build a game and a lot of these things were probably already done internally at, at like other games, but it's never really like publicly released in this fashion. And it's like a very web three fashion where it's, everything is, is very public. There's constant updates instead of a one update a year and that's it. So I think it's, it's very, very fascinating to see and, and how it plays out for, for you and star Atlas. And I'm, I'm very excited to follow along. 
it's a very risky endeavor to do it this way because like a lot of this art that you see coming from us um, we do put some of the early stuff out but like mainstream production cinema movie production for example the it's not until you put the finishing touches on it all of the sound effects all of the visual effects where something really comes together into a masterpiece but we're just kind of sharing it all along the way um, there's a really great uh I guess docu series that I was turned on to on Apple TV that's called Light and Magic, and it's about the formation of Industrial Light and Magic (ILM), which is the VFX studio George Lucas created when he was um, filming the first Star Wars. And I, I I can't recall specifically, but I think they were in a screening room. It was like Star Wars was getting close to completion. Everybody that's working on the film, and they watched the screening, and they're like, "This looks like shit." this is going to suck. And they do one, like one more pass on it and, and everything comes together and like, Oh my God, we created a masterpiece. Like I said, that, so that final we're bit of showing polish. it's always that final that's bit of polish, but that's okay. the hard thing is like, how do you communicate that to people that, Hey, yeah. what you're looking at is still the rough state. We're going to get to yeah. here, but you're seeing this because you want to see this. Um, so it's challenging, but uh, I think it's fun. I think we have a lot of people who do appreciate seeing the process. Um, and it's worked for us so far. Yeah, that's that's it's awesome. So amazing. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. This was uh, this was awesome. I am am super excited to go check out those those comics. I I love stories, so yeah. uh, all, all all about reading new stories. Um, and uh, and I'm just excited to see it all come together over the next you know however however long it it takes to sort of achieve the the final vision. Um, yeah, I would love to do this again sometime. There's so much more we could, I think we could, oh, we could talk about. Yeah. So, um, I know you, you said you were rambling, but it all felt so coherent, uh, and, and illuminating to me. So I, I really appreciate the, the concise way you explain things. It's, it's been fantastic. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll end there. Uh, listeners, we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone for being here. Bye-bye. Thanks so much guys. Definitely.